Welcome to The Vital Point. I'm your host, Jonathan Schechter. If you are interested in transformational work, such as plant medicine, psychedelics, breath work, meditation, somatic practices, cold exposure, yoga, and more, then my friends, you are in the right place. Welcome to The Vital Point, the podcast that is for practitioners as well as people new to transformational work looking curiously for more information and guidance. So if you are new to this type of work, uh, welcome. I'm your host, Jonathan Schechter. I am an integration coach and breathwork facilitator. I've also been meditating for about 20 years and um, do some mindfulness instruction as well. So this podcast um, brings you leaders in the fields of transformational work, whether that's um, psychedelics and plant medicine work, breath work, or a myriad of other types of modalities. And my goal with this podcast is to not only introduce you to new modalities and practices, but help spark your curiosity to go out and actually practice them. So I hope you enjoy today's episode of the show. This is a special episode of the podcast, and I'm so happy to bring it to you. The guest on this episode is Acacia Lewis, who is the founder of Divine Master Alchemy, a online education program that goes really deep um, into the anthropological and historical impact of different entheogens and the cultures and stories within those cultures um, that, that use them. And she demonstrates some of this deep knowledge in this episode of The Vital Point. Um, you know, a simple question about um, what are the lineages and ritual usage of psychedelic mushrooms within the Mexican and Mazatec uh, people and cultures really turned into a deep dive and a fascinating conversation um, about just how um, rich uh, these traditions really are. Um, going into philosophy, going into um, Aztec religion. Uh, she gave us multiple books to look at um, to explore the topic further and was just generally a pleasure to talk with. So I really hope that you enjoyed this episode as much as I did uh, listening to Acacia. And I'm really looking forward to uh, getting to know her more and hopefully having her back on the podcast again, because I feel like even with this particular question, we only scratch the surface and we could go a lot deeper. And, you know, she mentioned other cultures as well. And so um, just really looking forward to getting to know more about her. And this is a wonderful introduction into her breadth of uh, knowledge and wisdom. And I'm so grateful that she was gracious enough to share it with us here on the Vital Point podcast. So without further ado, enjoy. Awesome. So 
So yeah, welcome to the Vital Point podcast. Um, this podcast is all about transformational practices. So everything from breath work to psychedelics, plant medicines, ice baths, meditation, um, somatics, internal family systems. If it's transformational, we've probably talked about it here on the podcast. And my guest today is Acacia Lewis, who, are you the creator of Divine Master Alchemy? Mm-hmm. Awesome. Which is, uh, teach, teaches all about plant medicines. Anything else that you'd like to kind of say about that from the top? Yeah, it's not just a plant medicine. It's a, uh, I guess you'd say a holistic or a 360 degree view of uh, cultural stories, uh, oral traditions um, of many different uh, tribes that work with entheogens, even non-indigenous, uh, I guess you could say more modern uh, use uh, of entheogens, looking at the stories that people tell, trip reports included, um, and then also uh, going deeper into like the anthropological uh, history of how entheogens shaped the face of the human race, if you will, you know, whether it's Siberia or Africa or, or South Asia, uh, wherever we're looking at um, in Divine Master Alchemy, we're looking at the stories, we're looking at the oral tradition, we're looking at the, um, the actual like foods and lifestyle and ethical and moral background that oftentimes links to uh, entheogenic or plant teacher experiences. And then we're integrating that um, through reading different books and and really checking out different art authors um, who have a really wholesome perspective of entheogens. And uh, we're talking about it, microdosing and uh, learning about different alchemies that were used with entheogens that may not be hallucinogenic at all, that just have stories and um, having fun with that. So that's the school that I created because that's my, my passion uh, for research. Very cool. Thank you for, yeah, you, you did a much better job of explaining that. <laughs> Um, so how did you, how did you get involved in, in this world, in this work? Uh, well, my mom named me after an entheogen. Yeah, I've, I noticed that. <laughs> I mean, um, how could I not get involved at that point, really? It's just, you know, it was just a, always a matter of curiosity. Like right now I'm going through a really uh, difficult time in my own development because I'm trying to make that leap across um, I guess you could say whatever residual hangups I have uh, working with myself uh, or working with the acacia plant and Syrian rue tomorrow. And I'm really nervous, actually. You know, I've done 20, 20 grams of mushrooms alone in the dark. I've done 28 grams. Uh, I've done uh, 20 plus grams in a, group of pe- in a group of people. And every single time I've been nervous as crap. And then when I finally get into the trip, it's like all the nervousness melts away, you know, like I was looking at some of your videos and I, I don't mean to pry, but um, I, I noticed that you also have tachycardia mm-hmm. and um, my whole life, like when I was a little kid, my heart rate used to be 120 beats per minute resting. And, you know, I go to holistic practitioners, my parents would take me to sometimes and other times I'd ride my bike and <laughs> and go, you know, off campus and go and talk to like a holistic practitioner and they tell me, oh, you're magnesium deficient or you're niacin deficient. Um, and they'd never really give me a clear cut reason why my heart rate was always double or triple what it was supposed to be. Like mm-hmm. when I was broke in college, I go to the plasma office trying to donate plasma and they say, oh, your heart rate's too high or your blood pressure's too high. And it would be like something crazy, some crazy, absolute unhealthy number. And, um, you know, luckily, 
I've encountered teachers who have uh, medicines like uh, Gabon Viper Venom um, that could be used to treat heart disease and then potentially uh, control consciously your, your heart rate and your breathing because that's something that's not controlled consciously in the body. Medulla oblongata is what uh, in the brain controls your heart rate. So emotionally or subconsciously, um, I've noticed that when um, I'm not able to tap into my deeper emotions or feelings, that oftentimes my heart rate starts off like a, a runaway train, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, so whatever I work with, I'm always really hyper aware of yeah. how it will affect my, um, my heart and also aware of how I'm affecting my heart because I realized, you know, uh, working with the mushroom in Oaxaca that it was 50% nature or my body and 50% my thoughts. That was mm -hmm. really, you know, yeah. uh, partially what I was going through. Well, I wrote down that given viper venom and I'm definitely yeah, going to well, want to uh, talk to you more about that because yeah it's it's kind of a new no i live in tucson oh you're in tucson okay that was yeah. another pastor who's in mexico next time you go to mexico um one of my teachers still lives down there um his name's ian and he works with all the serpent venoms he got my lungs straight after i i had some complications with vaping in my youth um, my lungs, uh, I, when I got COVID, <clears throat> I couldn't actually speak for more than five minutes without passing out. That's how bad my lungs were. And so, you know, he patched me up on that. And then also the Gabon Viper Venom has brought my heart rate from 100 to 120 down to about 80 to 90 beats per minute, which isn't super significant, but I notice it. Yeah. I notice it when I'm on right. like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I so, totally, totally understand. I was like, if I can play it, pay some uh, a warlock uh, a medicine man in the jungle uh, $20 to, to patch up my heart and not have any problems after that, then I'm pretty good. <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely been a journey. Um, you know, we're still trying to find some answers. I'm starting to work with a naturopath here in town. And um, yeah, Western medicine hasn't really been very helpful. You know, they've been able to say, yes, you have something going on. And it's like, yeah, of course, I, there's something going on. I could have told you that, you know. Um, like having cancer, fibroids, um, also STDs, etc. Like my experience with Western medicine is that they're good at diagnosing names of things. Sometimes, sometimes not. But ultimately, you know, it's not Western medicine that's going to be the cure, though I would use Western medicine to positively confirm your symptometry or at least associate it with a specific category of something going wrong inside the body because, you know, they do have some more advanced tools of looking inside the body without you necessarily taking ayahuasca and shaman uh, sings and looks through your body and then sees where the colors don't match. And that's a perfectly valid way of doing an MRI, in my opinion, as well. But also, you know, some of us can't go all the way to Peru to get that treatment. So, right, right, right. You know, um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. I'm definitely going to hit you up about that later on for sure. Okay. Um, well, and I think, I think mentioning the ayahuasca is like a good segue into what I wanted to talk to you about here on the podcast. Um, you know, when I first started sitting with more plant medicines, I, I had some experience with medicines in more of a recreational uh, setting. And when I first started sitting with ayahuasca, 
I was really blown away by the the traditions and the the lineages that you know even even though you know most of the time I was not sitting with people that were like say indigenous um, Shipibo, but they had been trained by you know people that uh, from this lineage, and there was so much richness there. There was there was so much more than just the um, ingestion of the ayahuasca itself. You know, there was the ikaros, there were other master plants, um, the, even, you know, the music and the, the instruments that were being used had this purpose and this, this heritage. And I was really struck by how, at least within like the American mainstream, um, even though, uh, psilocybin, you know, sacred mushrooms are coming so much more out into the forefront, you know, they're, you know, going to be uh, decriminalized or legalized here any day now, you know, in terms of, you know, the uh, experiments and the research that's being done. But it's so clinical, you know, it's like go to a therapist office and put a blindfold on and listen to classical music. And um, I was like, where are the where's the lineage and the, the ritual and the, the historical usage for mushrooms in, this, in a similar way to the way that we experience ayahuasca. And so Ed had mentioned that, you know, this is one of your areas of expertise. And so I really wanted to learn more about, um, especially within like the, the Mazatec and, you know, the Mexican um, culture like the lineages and the ritual usage of sacred mushrooms. Well, that's a really good point because, you know, that's why uh, we talk about cultural literacy um, in our classes. Now, you know, we, we were studying last week a little bit of Native American, um, I guess you could say, uh, rituals and, and rites of passage to be able to understand the sonic encyclopedia or I guess you would say the the sound of 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 plant intelligence and recording uh, different songs, etc. But when it comes to the mushroom, you you've got a situation where um, a lot of uh, what's being shared about Maria Sabina, um, as one of my elders uh, mentioned last week, for instance, he said uh, a lot of what's being told about her, first of all, isn't true. Second of all, is Westernly popularized to make it sound like, okay, she was hanging out with the Beatles and things of that nature. She never even met the Beatles. You know, when we listen about our elders in the mushroom community, you have to be very cautious that we are going straight to a direct source, to a firsthand source. Um, me, myself, I haven't met or sat with Maria Sabina because she had already passed by the time I was, you know, born to this world. But um, my elders have. So who I learned about Marina uh, Sabina from um, were people who sat with her and knew her personally. So, you know, not only um, that fact, uh, but also the stories of um, the lineages that were around Maria Sabina, because she worked with the mushroom, but there were other elders who taught her that we don't talk about. And also her daughter, uh, who we really don't talk about, Apollonia, um, who was also, you know, like the whole family would get involved when Maria Sabina would have a velada. It wasn't just her, you know, and um, it, it, it was a, 
it, it was a whole family affair. And I think that when we think about the mushroom ceremony um, aspect of who are the lineage holders of the sacred mushroom, not only do we limit that to uh, being maybe Mazatec, it, I think it's because, you know, Gordon Wasson didn't necessarily visit first, to the best of my knowledge, um, areas like uh, th that were Zapotec uh, or areas that were uh, Mixtec, you know, and the Mixtec uh, codices or the Mixtec Mayan codices of the Yodotono Mixtec codice, um, I wish I could kind of like share a picture of it with you guys so you could see it, were, were dug out of the Temple of Antiquity uh, in Mexico. And these stellas, um, they call them, uh, the, the Journey of the Deified Heart is the name of these actual uh, images or pictoglyphs. And there's stellas, and then there's also these different kind of like hieroglyphic, uh, hieroglyphic pictoglyphs um, featuring Quetzalcoatl holding the mushroom and going through these different rites of passage. It shows the trip from start to finish, mm -hmm. like an upside down donut. Wow. And, um, you know, these are things that were hidden by uh, Spaniards, uh, painted red, uh, symbolizing that, you know, that denotes the devil worshiper stuff. You know, if it's got a dragon on it holding mushrooms, we don't want any of that. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that um, pre the emergence of Catholicism and uh, Mayan beliefs, I think that's so beautiful how well they pair together, even though a lot of, uh, a lot of the, the missionaries or, or religious uh, people who came uh, were really forcing the religion. Um, there's, there's this book uh, called Trees and Human Superstitions. And one of my uh, friends, Tom Lane, he brought it up. He said, you know, it talks about how um, uh, the Spanish would basically uh, uh, tried to convert um, some, some of the mushroom doctors, some of the, the, the sages who worked with entheogens. And a lot of them uh, were, were, were deathly afraid of, of converting, you know, because they were trying to uphold their lineage or their belief systems, et cetera. And they believed more in that than even physical death. And I think that personally, um, we're still coming to that age where we're accepting Aztec philosophy as Aztec philosophy, not Western philosophy. You know, we're, we're allowing them into the club of saying, okay, now you guys are intelligent to have created a philosophy. You're not just cavemen or savages as they were um, uh, oftentimes referred to by some of these uh, invading colonizers. And so when we look at Aztec philosophy, it's not Western dualistic philosophy. It's very monistic philosophy. It's, it's uh, referring to all these different characters uh, in, in the Mayan uh, history books and, and, and Aztec mythology books, etc., as being forces of energy and motion, not necessarily being deitized as saying, oh, well, that's the sun god and the sun god is worshipped, etc. No, the sun god is uh, Teotl in disguise as the sun god. And Teotl is uh, the Nahual or uh, the, uh, the, the shapeshift diversion of, of the human and of the cosmos. Just like the shaman becomes a jaguar in ceremony, that is his Nahual or Nagual. Just like that happens, so such is the cosmos 
uh, shape-shifting into the human. So such as the tree becoming the human, but is also the cosmos. So you have this monistic thread in Aztec philosophy where nothing is necessarily uh, uh, higher or lower or dual, male or female. It's always male, female becoming or, uh, or good <laughs> becoming uh, dark or, you know, it, it, it's always a state of becoming or energy and motion and transition. And when we look at Western philosophy, oftentimes we're stuck with a rigid uh, uh, state of if it changes, then it's not real. And ultimately, indigenous cultures define reality by things transforming and changing. That's what makes things real. Um, to a lot of uh, the the Aztec uh, and Mayan Tlalamine um, sages, those are the the philosophers. If you read the book called Aztec Philosophy by Peter uh, uh, by Maffey, James Maffey, excuse me, uh, James Maffey uh, out of the University of Maryland um, has broken down um, all of these different, uh, uh, I guess you could say. Um, non-dualistic uh, philosophies in such a way that we as students of the mushroom can better relate to where uh, some of the people who would be initiating themselves by eating the mushroom, what kind of mindset they had. Because I feel that there's a lot we have to throw out the window ourselves or a lot that may confuse us coming from a Western philosophical background um, of natural duality. Um, there's a lot that we have to, I guess you could say, surrender or release before us in 2022 can have that authentic, um, you know, 400 BCE mushroom ceremony where we're able to really let go, where we're able to understand that our heart uh, and our, our spine and the spinal fluid, et cetera, that's carrying the psilocybin uh, throughout our body uh, when, when we get into that rhythmic space, not to fear that space and not to uh, uh, let our fear overcome us. Because when you look at the codice, the first thing or the second thing that the character, Quetzalcoatl, which is symbolizing the initiate, you, eating the mushroom, the first thing he does is he has to go up against this uh, uh, emissary of death, Zabalba, the god of death. And he has to conquer his fear by cutting the head off of death. And I feel like uh, that's a really great symbol for ego death, because for me, when I work with the mushroom, you know, I might be afraid before. I might be nervous for a few days before because I have a lot of respect for the medicine. But when I'm in the experience, that's when you have an option to cut off that noise and to let it go. And you have a choice that you can make between what you think is going to happen and what you want to create. And that's the choice that I think that a lot of people don't oftentimes know they have is that choice to uh, evolve beyond or to become something more than what they were previously without having to hold themselves into in that box of I am this and this is how I function to let the mushroom really take you through that rite of passage of releasing fear and acknowledging that there's other things out there that we don't know and that we're still exploring and other beings out there that we uh, can possibly or potentially connect with, um, some which are, are benevolent, some which are malevolent, um, but that there's more 
to our existence than what we've been shown. So, yeah. There's a lot to unpack there. Um, one of the things, so, so the, the, <clears throat> you were saying that the Aztec gods and Quetzalcoatl, that the, this is really at less about an exterior God that's, you know, ex, um, external to us and is really a reflection of our own journey and our own forces and energies. Not and, only reflection, but literally your own, your own forces and energies. Yeah. Imagine like the Kundalini awakening right. being uh, like the left and right hemisphere of the brain being symbolized one by a bird or the Quetzal bird and one by a serpent, the left hemisphere being the serpent. When you combine those two energies together, you get this energy body that's just moving. You know, it's not God. It's, it's simply, uh, I guess you could say, a, a, a container for divine energy that appears to look like this plumed feathered dragon. But it's not separate. It's not necessarily something that, that needs to be worshipped or, or feared. It's, it's what you can step into. It's another container energetically, I feel. Yeah, it, it really reminded me of, you know, the, the work that, you know, that I've done within Tibetan Buddhism, you know, there's so much parallel there, of, yeah. you know, like, on one level, there's these different deities and different energetic forces, right? Like, even the deities as an external force or an external, like, uh, you know, person is really a, a, an energy, you know, it's, it's signifying energy, it's, it's a representative of energy. But within that the, the a deeper level is no that's really you it's you know it's it's your own mind it's your own forces and it's no there's no separation between you know your mind and the buddha's mind it's just that you don't you've forgotten that and you think that there's a separation you know uh i would like to give honor and respect to my wife of seven years you know um we worked with the mushroom heavily our entire marriage and she worked with Zen Buddhism specifically. And she would have conversations with Amitabha within herself. And when she would have these conversations of remembering um, uh, Amidewa, uh, she would oftentimes emit like this gold light, you know, that you could feel in the room, you know, um, communicating with these beings as yourself, I think is almost the entire point of remembering that the Buddha is not a person, place, thing, etc., you know, it's, it's a, a force of energy and motion that you can become, you can step into Buddha becoming through uh, basically accessing these mantras and speaking these words, whether it's Tayata, Bekonze, Bekonze, Ratsa, Bekonze, whatever it is, the number that you're dialing uh, picks up and you're the one who picks up the phone as the medicine Buddha, or as Amitabha, or as Vajrasattva in my case. I work more heavily with the, the Bodhisattvas, uh, Vajra Guru, Vajrasattva, uh, just because they ended up being my friends, not because I, I necessarily wanted something from them, but because I could relate to them in my experiences and in my trips. And when I used their mantra, it was almost as if I was calling, not almost as if, it was as if I was calling that other side of myself to bring confidence and joy and positive energy um, and to remove that layer of separation between myself and this being. And that's also me, you know? 
Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I can I can relate to that, and yeah, <laughs> I mean I think we could go off on a whole another tangent about that. Um, That's not a bad thing. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, I was also really interested in what you were saying about the first part of the the, the journey of the deified heart when you you mentioned you know Quetzalcoatl uh, like. Um, confronting the death, right? That's that. That's what he said. And, you know, like, I've always found in my experiences um, that the first, just to, to be very general, um, that the first part of a ceremony is the darkest. It's like, that's where, like, to me, like, dark stuff doesn't really come up like this, second half or like the second two thirds it's like it's almost like there's like this first third that's like whatever stuff you're working through like whatever stuff you got carrying around you got to like work through that and it's going to come up right and then like once you're through that then it's like ah okay now we're into a different vibe we're in a different place it goes away and it it, you're able to finally like see the forest for the trees like i i can completely relate to that that's how it's always been for me especially at higher dosages like there's no real such thing as high dose i mean like we can eat like a whole handful or a couple bowls doesn't matter but i notice the same thing almost every time you know and it's it's really just my insecurities and my anxieties like let's say like i didn't keep my word doing something then i'll have a really hard time taking a trip because you know i i know that i have work to do and i shouldn't be working with the mushroom until or the whatever it is until i take care of what i said i was going to take care of and sometimes you know, that that takes moving around some things and rescheduling some things just so you can make space for what you need to do. Because if you're misaligned, then you're going to get hung up. And getting hung up is the worst feeling ever, you know, because then you're sitting there thinking, well, you know, now I've got to definitely do better. But you already knew you had to do better. So it's just a matter of being able to release that not in your gut uh, of anxiety, and really get into that space where you'll allow yourself or you'll permit yourself to forgive yourself for whatever it is that you haven't been able to do yet and forgive everybody else for whatever they haven't done. And, you know, release that judgment, release that fear and anxiety. And then once you do that, then you're, then you could go anywhere and do pretty much anything you want to do if you know how, you know? So. Yeah. I also found, uh, you know, especially when, there was a, you know, a lot of work being done within a short period of time that it seemed like sometimes that first sort of that, that, you know, confront confrontation of death, if we want to call it that um, it really felt like there were things that were happening from other lifetimes, like mm-hmm. things that I knew were, were not mine just because of what historically I was experiencing. I was like, well, okay, this is, this is not me, Jonathan, you know, in this body, um, but this is obviously something that I'm carrying around that needs to get cleared. And sometimes yeah. that was the, you know, really scary stuff. Cause it was like, Whoa, like I didn't, do <laughs> you know, I didn't do this. Um, I know what yeah. my intentions were kind of coming into this and here I am clearing some stuff that I had no idea about, you know, beforehand. You know, that's really interesting. I was watching The Wheel of Time last night, and I recommend, like, anybody who's into mushrooms at least check it out. Because, you know, um, 
the past life aspect of the mushroom trips, it's, it's not something I can talk about like with just anybody very often. Cause you know, a lot of people just don't really believe in that kind of stuff. Just being frank, you know, um, they've never experienced it or they think, you know, what they see on TV represents that somehow. And that's yeah. oftentimes not the case, you know, with our experiences, we're not looking for past lives, but how is it that we have these vivid experiences that are beyond the scale of our imagination and we can tap into those experiences extremely easily with the mushroom and oftentimes see how they correlate to what we're doing now as old patterns, you know, or relics mm. that are trapped in our DNA that we've just carried, that have been passed down and passed down to us, by us, by ourselves, of these experiences that are very difficult to reintegrate. You know, it's like having the experience of, okay, well, what if uh, I was in a war and I killed somebody and that person shows up in your life in this lifetime. And then you realize that you have unresolved karma. What are you going to do then? You know? Um, and it, it takes uh, a practice of uh, removing those mountains of karma, you know, and really allowing yourself to forgive. And sometimes that also means to forget, to allow yourself to be new and to recycle all those pieces you know like i was watching a um, i think it was like a video or a reel uh somebody was saying don't recycle yourself uh just stop what you're doing and change and i'm like isn't that recycling yourself <laughs> you know like that's still you like i've noticed that sometimes the mushroom will put me into the space that i call the composter and honestly sometimes i need to be in that space because i feel you know i felt the weight of what you know, it sounds crazy, but, you know, what could be potentially hundreds of thousands of years of experience. And oftentimes it's like, if you watch like the movie, The Eternals, you know, how the, the chick got mad weird or what mad weary or whatever, because she had too many memories from too many lifetimes. And they start glitching out and attacking her friends and stuff. And I find that sometimes that's actually a thing where it really takes, uh, not being afraid to lose yourself, knowing that you can't ever lose yourself and that you don't have to necessarily associate or not at all associate yourself with your failures or your limitations or things that you didn't get to do or did the way that you feel like you did wrong. You know, like even in this life, um, like over the past year and a half, you know, I always, I oftentimes think back to like, how could I have saved my partner? Like I'm a medicine person isn't this what I do? You know, isn't this something that I'm supposed to be proficient at? And, you know, for me, what's healing is recognizing what I did notice and what I did bring up and changes I did make. And instead of necessarily holding myself to this bitter standard of, okay, well, if it didn't go perfect and you didn't do good at all, you know, it's being less hard on yourself as an eternal being. And recognizing that you're, you did just fine. You're exactly where you're supposed to be in this moment right now. And anything that happened outside of this moment was to prepare you for what's happening right now. And I feel like that's really helped me to reintegrate. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, I can just, I can, I can feel your authenticity and just, you know, the lessons that you are continuing to process and learn, you know, from that experience. And it's wonderful that you're able to, you know, share that and um, be open about it, you know, and, and have that perspective. So 
you know, thank you for, thank you for sharing that. The, the last thing I wanted to maybe touch on that from, from what your, your first share was you, you were talking about like things that we in the modern world or with the like sort of Western philosophy um, should be able to let go of, you know, to better work with, with the mushroom or to better understand maybe what's happening on like a higher perspective. And I was wondering if you could maybe touch on that a little bit more, go, go more in depth with that. Sure. You know, I think that, you know, we got to let go of this instant gratification idea of what psychedelics are, you know, back, you know, if you want to know about mushroom lineages, et cetera, the mushroom doctor book, uh, called The Wisdom Way of the Feminine Shaman by Camelia Martinez gives you a really, really good look into what it was like for a shaman from the Mazatec uh, or Mixtec uh, lineages to come to the United States and travel and teach and do mushroom ceremony, um, you know, who comes from a lineage that potentially taught Maria Sabina um, everything that she knew. So that gives you like an idea to uh, start there. But to, to add more layers, I'd say the instant gratification part comes when you think that if you take a dose that you're entitled to seeing colors or hearing sounds. It's the preconceived notions part that I think could really afford to be released, you know, of psychedelics are a cure-all or psychedelics are a medicine, you know, and even as a medicine person, you know, like there was no such thing when I was 16. It was just, you know, oh, you're depressed? Okay, you know what? Um... Uh, the hippie moms are going to come together and share whatever mushrooms we have left and then help this kid out. And, you know, we didn't have teachers. We didn't have, you know, this rigid standard of, of what we were supposed to follow. And I feel like that's how I came into this thing. And even with the layers of verbiage and the way that the mushroom is being, I guess you could say the container that the mushroom is being put into in this psychedelic renaissance, um, oftentimes I feel like it, it does a disservice to people who would otherwise truly and sincerely benefit from not having that level of expectation of mm -hmm. what it's going to potentially do for them. Because then those expectations are carried into the experience and oftentimes distract or, or take away from the actual experience that you were meant to have, which Maybe it wasn't seeing a bunch of pretty colors. Maybe it wasn't having a therapy session. Maybe it wasn't, um, you know, painting or, or maybe, maybe, maybe it was that traumatic moment where you realize that you should forgive your mother because your mother is still in your DNA or whatever it is that you thought you were supposed to get. I think that that instant gratification mentality of like taking an aspirin is going to remove pain, just like taking five grams is going to give me an ego death. Everybody's different. And really allowing the mushroom to remain what it was in ancient times, which is a food or the flesh of God. It was a spiritual experience. You didn't know what you were going to get. You just knew that you were uh, going to consume something that needed to be treated in a sacred way. And it was called Tionanakatl, flesh of the gods, you know, or the sacred blood flowers of Quetzalcoatl, you know, understanding that the lightning has a symbiotic relationship with the soil, which gives birth to the mushroom. You know, this, these things uh, come from uh, uh, the rain and, and the combination of blowing winds that bring spores to rest and the lightning 
adding nitrogen to the soil, which causes these mushrooms to flourish. You know, it's the natural process that was respected and honored. And then adding an additional layer of gratitude to the mushroom by, by elevating it to the position of los niños de hongos, or like children, understanding that they are innocent and that they're not trying to, uh, uh, they're, they're, they're not like adults. They're like, not like men who are maybe trying to deceive um, they're children, they're innocent, and they're sacred. And adding that level of respect back to the mushroom and then replacing it with that maybe perspective of something that you always have to get from the mushroom. Being more in service to Mother Nature and the approach and respectful of, of the planet and also respectful of the cultures that worked with it in a sacred way, whether in Africa or Asia or Siberia, or the United States, it doesn't matter where you look, you're still going to find uh, these people who believe that celestial or divine uh, consciousness can be accessed, or a spiritual experience of some kind can be accessed through its use, you know? So making the mushroom less magic and more sacred, maybe. Yeah. Wow. There's a lot there, and I think that's a lot to for all of us to aspire to. And, you know, thank you for, for sharing that. Absolutely. I want to be respectful of your time. I definitely, I, I am going to talk to you about maybe doing like a part two or maybe even like a longer, we, maybe we could talk on zoom and then, and, you know, have a longer conversation because there's so much more just even to unpack in this topic. And then I know you were talking to me before the show about like talking about, um, you know, other, uh, mushroom use on other continents and in other cultures and you know I'd love to um, you know keep learning I really feel like you are just a wealth of information and thank you for sharing all those um, books that's awesome um, you know, see some folks have uh, you know put those books back up in the chat so that we can um, follow along with those and for anybody that is following along in the live um, this video will be up on my Instagram and I always invite the guests to host it on theirs as well. And then it will, um, the audio will also be on um, Spotify, Apple, uh, Anchor and Google um, here by the end of the week. So really appreciate everybody that um, joined and, and followed along and was uh, giving all their positive energy to all the wisdom and experience that Acacia um, so generously shared with us. So thank you so much, Acacia. This has been so wonderful. And I'm, I'm really, I'm going to, I'm going to text Ed afterwards and just be like, man, you were right. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you. I, I really appreciate you yourself and just holding space uh, for, for me to be able to share. And um, I really appreciate Ed for that day because, you know, I, as an alchemist or as a plant medicine person, we all really need encouragement. And it just really, like when we have elders in our communities who come and, you know, really, really share on a really deep level, like that's, that, that's just gold. That's, that does my heart good to know that he's, uh, he's still doing his work and, you know, checking out and see what we're up to, you know, kids in this work. So. Well, and just to, you know, just to complete the circle, like, um, I mean, pretty much the first time that I met Ed, um, I held space for a mushroom ceremony with him and uh that was that was how we connected that was how we met you know so um 
it's a small world and we're all connected in more ways than um, are visible to that, you know, third dimensional eye. So I appreciate you and I'm looking forward to getting to know you better and hopefully you come back uh, to Tucson for the gem show next year and we can connect in person. Absolutely. Let's microdose and go check out rocks. (laughs) Definitely. Awesome. And I'm definitely going to be in touch before, uh, you know, before then for sure. So really appreciate you and thank you so much and happy early birthday. I hope you're doing something fun tomorrow. I don't know about fun, but I'm about to chug this acacia tea. So wish me luck. (laughs) Well, blessings and good luck to you. Thank you so much for being on The Vital Point. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for joining. And uh, well, until next time. Thanks for checking out another episode of the podcast. I hope that you not only enjoyed it, but that you feel inspired to go and do some practice of your own. You know, whether that is something that is a part of your regular routine, like meditation or breath work, or trying something new, like taking an ice bath or starting a new mindset practice maybe you feel curious to something that you've been called to try you know working with a new teacher a new facilitator or maybe even working with uh, psychedelics or plant medicine in whatever way is safe and legal for you where you live my hope is that you are you know curious and continue to expand your transformational practice and that this podcast inspires you to continue doing that as always if you can follow or subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to it on it definitely helps and if you can leave a review even just a few reviews really help to push the podcast up in the algorithm and help make it more visible to more people love it if you shared it with your friends if you're finding it valuable or interesting as always follow me at blue magic alchemy on instagram all one word and if you're interested in learning more about breath work or you'd like support integrating or preparing for self-development transformational practice reach out to me at bluemagicalchemy at gmail.com or at instagram to set up a discovery call for instagram coaching Until next time, thank you, be well, and keep practicing. That's the vital point.